You may be seated. It's great to see you this morning. We're talking about relationships, mostly about marriage. But if you're single, it relates to you for two reasons. If you ever plan to become married, if that's a desire that you have, then you want to learn the stuff that we're going to be talking about before you say I do. And if you don't ever plan to get married again, you always have people in your life. You know that the number one thing that people struggle with is marriage. The number one emotional counseling problems, it's usually related to marriage. So just by being here, you're learning things that hopefully you can share with other people. I don't think church is all about me, meaning I'm here just like a self-help. I'm here just to help me. You need that. There is self-help involved. You know, you're there to help yourself. But it goes way beyond that because you want to take the things that you learn and influence your kids. So it goes beyond just helping me. It goes that next step to other people. I want to take the things I learn and influence other friends, influence other family members. So this is for everybody. Sometimes you hear a subject and you might think, well, that's not for me. It's for everybody. It's always for everybody. Every part of scripture that you read is for everybody. It's not just for that person that is directed to or the lifestyle of that person that is directed to Because part of our life is to influence others in a positive way. And we need to know those things in order to do it. But most of you are either married or you hope to be married one day. So most of you, this is going to relate directly to what's going to happen in your life. Last week, we talked about what kind of person should I look for if I wanted to get married. This week, we're going to talk about when you marry that person and it feels like you married the wrong person. If you've been married for any amount of time at all, you feel like you've married the wrong person. That has to happen because there's times in your life that you feel like, did I make a mistake? Did I marry the right person? You can't be with somebody 20, 30, 40 years and not have conflict and not feel like, oh, did I make a mistake? If there was ever a storybook wedding, I think of when Diana married Prince Charles, and you know, you had the horses, the carriages, the royalty, all the pomp and circumstances. So on the outside, it was like the most amazing wedding you could ever imagine, only to end in divorce. You think like, wow, from the outside, they had everything, money, everything that you would think people want to be happy But really, their marriage had a horrible ending. I'm not talking about her life. That was a horrible ending as well. But I'm talking about the marriage had a horrible ending. How does something so right, it felt so right, end up so wrong? How is it that we can be in a marriage that feels so right at the beginning when we're dating and we say, yes, I will marry you, and it ended up being so wrong? I say marriage starts out as an ideal Soon it becomes an ordeal, and now you're looking for a new deal. Has that ever happened to you? That's what it feels like happens. I got this from another pastor, a letter that was written. I thought, this is perfect for what we're talking about. It says, Dear Pastor, I don't understand what's happened to my marriage. What seemed to be so right before we got married has turned out very, very wrong. I'm wondering if I've missed God's will. My marriage is not at all what I thought it was going to be. I know everybody has problems, but I thought because I was a Christian that my marriage would be different. 
Have you felt like that if you've grown up in the church and you think, wow, I'm a Christian, I'm going to marry a Christian, and things are going to be different? And as a Christian, you struggle with your marriage just like everybody else. It's still two different people coming together. Before we got married, we thought we had a lot in common. But it's now very clear that we have very little in common, especially since my mate doesn't care about growing spiritually like I do. Another thing that bugs me is our love life. Before we got married, we decided to live together to check out each other sexually. This was a big mistake. I've now learned that how someone responds while unmarried is no guarantee at all of how they will respond when committed for life to marriage. Within a year after we got married, my spouse lost all interest in sex. The thrill was replaced with guilt and fear. I now feel ripped off, cheated, and the victim of a bait-and-switch scam. It isn't fair, and I'm angry, and I'm hurt, and I'm frustrated. I keep wondering if maybe the person God wanted me to marry is still out there somewhere. I fantasize about other people I might have married. I'm constantly comparing my spouse to others. Maybe I should divorce and start searching again. All I'm sure of is this. I'm deeply disappointed in my marriage, and I don't know what to do. Pastor, can you please tell me what went wrong? There might be parts of this letter that this person wrote to this pastor that relates to you and the way you feel about things that you've gone through in your marriage. You know, last week we talked about how God describes that right kind of person that you're supposed to look for. It's easy for us to make mistakes to make dumb decisions. Like logically, I can know it's wise to approach relationships in this way. But when your emotions get involved, logic goes out the door. And you start doing things and you start making decisions based on the feelings of emotion that you have at that time. And sometimes they're not wise decisions. So you look back and say, well, God said I should have handled it this way, and I didn't. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I married the wrong person. Maybe the right person is still out there for me, but it's not this person that I'm with. And then you have this feeling, maybe I should divorce. Well, there is nowhere in Scripture that ever says that you married a wrong person or a right person. There's guidelines to help guide you to make your marriage easier but there's no wrong or right. It's a choice that you make. God does not have a special person for you out there. It does not exist like that. There is no special person for you. It's a choice that you make. You make decisions on what you want to do with your life. And then sometimes with those decisions, you go into something and it becomes a lot harder on you Because you didn't prepare, maybe. It's like if I start a business, but I don't really study out that business well enough, I might go into that business and I might lose money the first three or four years learning how to do it right. If I would have prepared better, I might have went into that business much better off. But now I'm paying the sacrifice for my lack of preparation. It doesn't mean that that business is bad. It means I went into it unprepared. So I'm feeling bad about the business. There's nothing wrong with the business. There's something wrong with me. I didn't prepare myself. I didn't do. So now I'm 
in it. And I'm having to learn the hard way in order to succeed. And down the road, you might become a millionaire with that business. Down the road, your marriage can be the greatest thing ever. But right now, it can be miserable because you didn't prepare. You didn't do your homework. You didn't do the things that you need to do to make things work. So don't get this idea that somehow you marry the wrong person and God has somebody else out there for you. No, you marry the person that you chose to marry. And divorcing them isn't going to be the answer. Plus, it's a choice if you're a believer, and even if you're not a believer, it's a choice that you do where you stand before people and you stand before God, you make a vow to God, I'm going to stay with this person for better or for worse, in richness or if you're poor, in good health, bad health, for life. These are the things that you say. These are the type of vows that you make to one another and to God. And no one made you make that vow. That came from your own heart sincerely at that time. And when things get rough, it was still something that you made a promise to God. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to stick with you. So it's all about my choices that I make. It's not about I married the wrong person. There's no right person either, by the way. (laughs) There's no wrong person. There's no right person. It's choices that I make. There's guidelines to make it easier. We, We went through all that last week. If you follow these guidelines, it's going to be a lot easier. If you ignore these guidelines, it's going to be a lot harder because you're going to have to learn those things in the marriage rather than before you say, I do. But we all do foolish things in life, not just in marriage. We all make bad decisions. We all make dumb decisions. You know how great God is? God can take all the stupid things I've done and still use it for the good. All things work together for the good. That includes me being stupid sometimes, me making a decision in dating or getting married too quickly when I sh- we should have dated longer or whatever and worked out some details before then or whatever the mess is. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So even my dumb decisions can work for the good if I allow God to do it. It's not automatic. I can resist God. But what happens is, At this point, when you're in that situation, you feel pain, grief, heartache, problems, pressure, hassles. So it's hard at this point to see that God could use it for the good, to see that God's going to turn it around, to see if I really submit to him what can happen. Just like I said about starting a business and not being quite prepared, and it could be a great business, but in the meanwhile, you're losing a lot of money and you're suffering And you made some dumb decisions when you jumped into it. And right now you're suffering, but long-term it could be good. Same way. But that business won't get good long-term if while you're struggling, you don't learn what you need to learn to turn it around. The marriage won't get better if you don't learn the things you have to learn to turn it around. But God wants to make it better. Let's talk first about what went wrong What goes wrong in a marriage? You can fill in the blank. The first one is unresolved issues. These are the things that cause us to doubt. We start second-guessing what we did. Did I marry the wrong person? Did I make a mistake? We have unresolved issues from our past that we bring into every relationship. It can be from a past relationship that I've had where 
something happened and now I don't trust women. Now I bring that into the new relationship and I've got all this lack of trust. Is that going to affect your, your relationship? Obviously. But most of the baggage that you bring into a relationship, most of the hangups and hurts and habits on how you react have more to do with your childhood than anything. Things that you picked up in your childhood, things that you learned, it's usually in your childhood that you pick up a bad self-image. If you've been abused as a child, you'll carry that with you, you know, years and years. Somebody in the playground says you're uncoordinated. Some teacher says that to you and you're seven years old. And now you're 37 and you feel like you're uncoordinated because of what one person said when you were seven years old because they were a teacher and they must be right. That's how it affects kids. A lot of the baggage that we bring into our current relationships have to do with our childhood. It's not only that. And your family has set you up to succeed in a lot of ways. But your family has also set you up to fail in a lot of ways. There's things that you've learned in your family that you've held on to that are damaging to your relationships. You have great strengths that you learned from your family. You have great weaknesses that you've learned. And here's the problem. We don't feel that bad about our weaknesses. If you're married to somebody, I don't feel that bad about my weaknesses. It's your weaknesses I can't stand. My weaknesses, I've lived with these weaknesses all my life. I'm used to my weaknesses. They even feel normal to me. So when you start attacking me about my weaknesses, I say, why can't you just accept me the way I am? What happened to unconditional love? But your weaknesses really bug me because they're not my weaknesses. There's things I would never do. So what is wrong with you? Your opposites attract, then they attack. That's what we do. So we have these way more faults and failings and weaknesses that we bring into the relationship than what we recognize. Because to us, they don't seem that bad. And as long as you're single, they're not that bad. They're not that bad. You don't deal with it. Have you ever dated somebody and got to know them and made a decision, now that I know them better, I would never marry that person. But you don't tell them their weaknesses. Why? Because I don't want to destroy them. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I'd rather just ignore it. So what happens? They continue on with that weakness, never knowing because they're used to it. It's not until you're married and living with somebody day in and day out that someone attacks your weaknesses. Because now it bothers them. Because if you're my friend, man, woman, just a friend, if you're my friend and you have things about you that bug me, that's okay. I can still be your friend because I'm going to leave you and go my own. I, I go home. <laughs> oh, that's just the way they are. But at the same exact time, you can have that friend, but you would never want to marry somebody like that. Because then you have, to, you have to deal with that day in and day out. And it drives you up the wall. And you can't stand it now. The best way to prepare for your marriage is to deal with things of your past. The more you can do that before you're married, the better. Unfortunately, there's going to be tons of stuff that won't come out. It just won't come out until you're married. See, people think marriage created all these problems. Let me tell you this. Marriage did not create any problem. Marriage revealed that there's problems. The problems are already there. 
My weaknesses, my flaws were already there before I got married. Marriage didn't create those weaknesses. Marriage put somebody in my life that had to live with my weaknesses day in and day out and can't stand it. And finally, can't hold her tongue anymore and says, Jimmy, that's got to change. It's driving me crazy. Pick up your underwear. See what I'm saying? Little things like that. But in marriage, there's a lot of little things. And a lot of little things end up looking like something really big. So something that never bothered me when I was single. I could pick up my underwear when I'm going to wash clothes in two weeks. Gather it all up then. Marriage just reveals my laziness. It was already there. So don't you ever blame marriage. Like, marriage is the problem. No, I'm the problem. You're the problem. Marriage just shows me the things about you that need to change. And marriage shows you the things about me that need to change. Marriage is your best opportunity to grow up, to mature, to be the best you that you could be. If you listen to them. If you listen to them. But we're so damaged, we're so hurt, that when someone tries to correct us, we get so defensive. Wisdom says to listen, right? But it's hard to listen. We're so defensive. And we don't get better, but the marriage gets worse. We don't get better, but the marriage gets worse. But I could choose to listen to my wife and say, okay, maybe these are weaknesses that I need to change. And in my mind, I really believe that they only bother her. And then I start changing. And then I visit my mom and dad, and they say, oh, you've really changed. And they point out something that she's been nagging me about. To me, it's like, what? Like, my parents could tell that I changed. They tried to correct me here and there growing up, and they finally gave up on me. <laughs> but now, and they see it, and they're happy. Wow, that's, wow, something good's happened. She's good for you. When your parents have to tell you that someone else is good for you. <laughs> I mean, apparently it was a bad flaw, but we, we feel comfortable with it. But in marriage, it's not going to be comfortable anymore because who's going to put up with that? So the things that you feel, my life's okay, what's messed up with them? When you get married, you find out, I guess I'm messed up too. Second thing is unmet expectations. I don't know any area of life where we set ourselves up with higher expectations. It's kind of like Disneyland, the knight in shining armor. If you look at those cartoons, Prince Charming comes and sets free the fair maiden. They ride off into the sunset happily ever after. That's not life. That's not real. The way that we process things in American culture, our dating, our courtship, our engagement, our wedding, our honeymoon, it sets you up for massive disappointment. There's no other area that you have higher expectations than in marriage. And it's going to set you up for a big fall. When you court, what do you do? You wear your nicest clothes. You're on your best behavior. You might spend your money foolishly. Think about this. Who do you know in their 20s that needs a diamond? Most people I know in their 20s need a car, a place to live, other things. But boy, you've got a diamond. You've got a diamond. So it causes you to spend your money in ways that you can't even really afford at that time. And in these courting times, you're not a normal person. You're not your normal self. You are putting your best foot forward, not that you're trying to deceive them, but it does because when you marry them and you see the real them, you realize it wasn't as great as what you thought. Brides magazines, everybody's perfect. 
no blemishes. You don't find ugly people in a bride's magazine. On the front cover, it should say science fiction because it's not true. And then on the wedding, your wife is all dressed up. They make her look like a goddess. And she walks down, and here's the saddest thing. She's never going to look that good ever again for the rest of your life. It's all downhill from here. Because how is it that the most beautiful day of your life is that day? That means for the rest of the, your life is going to be less. It's never going to be that good ever again. And then you go on some honeymoon that you really can't afford at a far-off place, so everything's perfect. Then you move in with each other. You're living together. Six months down the road, that same couple, one guy's wearing his T-shirt, hasn't shaved a couple of days. She has curlers in her hair. The milk is sitting on the counter. Somebody forgot to put it away, and it's spoiling there. You know, and he smells a little bit bad. You both have morning breath. You're arguing over something that she bought or something that he bought that you can't afford. And what happened to that beautiful wedding and honeymoon and all that happened? And just six months later, you're back to real life and you're thinking, marriage isn't all the fun that I thought it was going to be. We set ourselves up for an unrealistic expectation. And then we start thinking, well, maybe I married the wrong person. And it's not that at all. Then number three, we underestimate our differences. Underestimated differences. I told you that opposites attract and then we attack. We attract because we see things in that other person that complement us because it's things that we're, we don't have. So if you're very structured, sometimes you're drawn to people that aren't so structured. If you're shy and quiet and reserved, somehow you're fascinated by those people that are outgoing and loud and boisterous, and you're attracted to them. And it's fascinating, and it's fun to be with them. But with everybody's good points, strengths, they have a set of weaknesses that go with that. Like that, that person, they, why do you like them so much? They're so easygoing. And it just creates a calm atmosphere. But I'm telling you, what do you hate about that person? They're lazy. They're lazy. Easygoing people tend to be lazy. Okay? But when you're dating them, you don't see the lazy part. You see the good part. They're easygoing. It's a package. You get the good with the bad. You just don't know that until you're married and living with them. Now, all of a sudden, you start seeing the bad things about them. The person that's loud and boisterous, they're also the same type of people that when they get angry, they're loud and boisterous, and you feel beat up. To them, that's normal. And now you feel beat up in the relationship. And you can't stand this person. I never knew they were like this. You know, that person's driven to succeed. And you, man, I've always wanted a man like that or a woman like that. So successful. You know what? Driven people are driven and they'll drive right over you. And they do in marriage. And they don't even know they're doing it. Because to them, that's normal how you treat people. And now you feel like, that thing, that, that quality that you love so much about them when it comes toward you, you feel like, oh, this evil person, how did I marry them? Every strength has a weakness with it. You don't marry the strengths, you marry the whole package. When you're dating, you notice the strengths. When you're married, you notice the weaknesses. All of a sudden, that's what blares at you. And it wouldn't matter who you married because you're always going to be drawn toward your opposite if you married someone with your same personality, you'd feel like you're kissing your brother. You know, you, you don't want to do that. 
You could, I guess, but you don't want to, right? You know, so you're going to be attracted to someone different than you, but then their weaknesses are going to be there, and you're going to, it doesn't matter who you marry. That's why it's not like I married the wrong person. No. They have weaknesses. I have weaknesses. Now it shows. Now we have to work on it. Oh, we have so much in common. One's a guy, one's a girl. You don't have anything in common. Have you read that book? Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. It is so right on. If you think you have a lot in common, you just don't know each other yet. You know, everybody has differences. You know, men and women think differently about things. They respond. And do you notice how you tend, if you're the early riser, you marry the night owl? Or if you're daring and impulsive, you tend to marry the person that's cautious and reserved. If you like to talk a lot, you marry someone that doesn't want to talk. You're so excited to talk, and they come home, and they don't want to hear it. They, they've already ran out of their words for that day, so they just want it quiet. Or, you know, the person that spends too much money marries the tightwad. You know, the person that loves to cuddle marries the person that doesn't want to be touched. You know, when it comes to sex, one's a firecracker, one's a dud. One drops everything, the other one drops dead. You know, so we tend to marry our opposites. We really do. And nothing can disappoint us and let us down more than marriage because we have these great expectations, but then we're in it. And these are the things that take place. The fourth thing is unforgiven mistakes. You can't have a marriage unless you learn forgiveness. When we hold on to our hurts, it's, it's going to kill the marriage. It's going to kill the marriage. You're going to be hurt by your spouse by accident, and you're going to be hurt by your spouse on purpose. And you know what? I, I always find it strange when someone says, but, but he did it on purpose. You know why? Because you're going to hurt your spouse by accident, and you're going to hurt your spouse on purpose. We both do it. Everybody does it. Sometimes we do things that accidentally offend them. It wasn't our intention. Sometimes we get mad and say something, and it was our intention. And afterwards, we say, I just said that because I was mad. But it was our intention because we were mad. You're going to be hurt by accident. You're going to be hurt on purpose. You're going to hurt them by accident. You're going to hurt them by pur on purpose. You're going to say things that you regret. It's just that's what's going to happen in a relationship. You can't be with anybody for any amount of time without things like that happening. What's the solution? You can't hold a grudge. You, you have to learn to forgive. Every great relationship, you have to have forgiveness. If you can't forgive, it kills the marriage. Have you ever seen those makeovers where they'll take a person and just kind of like an average person and they'll cut their hair, they'll lighten it or darken it, they'll put on makeup, the right clothes, the right accessories and everything. And by the end of the TV show, that average looking person is stunning. Have you seen those TV shows where they do that? Well, you might think my marriage doesn't have a chance. I'm telling you, you can do a makeover. You have to work with what you have. When they do a makeover, this is what we have, so we have to work with this. And you have to know what you have so you know how to work with it. But you have that ability to take that average thing and make it stunning. I'm telling you, you can take your relationship and it can become stunning. There's things that you can do. So how do you do that makeover? These are the ABCs and how to turn that marriage around. A is accept. Accept responsibility for my actions. Starts with me. Each person, in Galatians, it says each person must be responsible for himself. I can't control my spouse's actions. I can't control my spouse's attitude. But I can control my actions. I can control my attitude. I can accept responsibility for the things I do. So it starts there. 
Instead of me saying, our marriage is going to be better if I can change you, I'm going to start with me. The marriage will be better if I change me. What, what if I just worked on my weaknesses for a change? And just don't worry about them right now. I'm not going to blame them. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to stop having a pity party. I'm not going to compare them with somebody else. I'm not going to be resenting being married to you. I'm going to stop blaming. You know, don't blame your spouse for your unhappiness. You're as happy as you want to be. You're as happy as you want to be. If you're not happy, I hate to tell you this, it's your fault. If you're not happy. Because you can't control them and they can have a temper tantrum and they can be whatever they are, but you can choose if they're going to be that way, that's on them. I have made a decision that I'm going to be happy and enjoy life, whether they do or not. It's a choice. You can never blame your happiness on them. Now, I'm not saying that someone can't do something to you and temporarily cause pain and hurt and unhappiness, okay? But there are some people that they're never happy. They're never happy. They're never happy. That's your choice. You choose to enjoy life if you want to. I can't make that person change, but I can change and I can do the things where I love life. I'm having a great time, okay? I would love to see them happy too. But I can't make them. You can't make somebody happy. You can't fix them. But you can fix yourself. So I'm not going to fantasize like, you know. So once I get that down, okay, I can be happy if I want to, whether they are not. I can't make them happy. If they don't want to be happy, what do I do? I've decided I'm going to enjoy life and be happy. Now, the second thing is the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener where you water it, right? So if I'm watering my yard, if I'm weeding my yard, my yard's going to look beautiful. You have to approach marriage like that. You know, what work? I'm, I'm willing to take responsibility for my marriage. I'm willing to get the weeds out. I'm willing to water this marriage. I'm not willing to think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. The truth of the matter is, when I had a yard, if I didn't have a gardener, my yard would have been a wreck. Because when, when I've had situations like that, I never put the time into it like I know I'm, like at the beginning, oh, this is my yard, it has nice green grass. I want to live here. I move in, what do you think happens to the grass? It goes brown. Because it wasn't, the problem wasn't the grass. What's wrong with the grass? It was green when we moved here. What happened? The problem was me. I didn't water it. Same way with marriage. So many of the problems is, is just me. If I would put effort into it, things could change. So I'm just going to do my part. I'm not going to be, you know, point my finger at them. Another thing is, I want to get some victories under our belt. Some victories. We're at each other. Things aren't good. Victories. Some people have like, oh, I've got 100 problems. You're not going to be able to deal with the 100 problems. It's too much. Just pick one. And I would say, if you haven't had victories for a long time, pick something like, what do we have a problem with? Well, I have 100 problems. One of them is we can't decide on what we want to watch on TV, and we fight over that. Well, maybe that's one we can solve. you know. But get a victory under your belt. Pick something that you can work on and, and have some success and say, okay, wow, we at least got one victory. 
then work on another one, then work on another one. Trying to work on 100 things at once does not work. The second thing, the B, stands for believe. The ABCs of how to have that makeover in your marriage, believe. Believe my marriage can change. It's talking about faith in God. Do you believe that God can make a difference? Let me tell you why. If you don't believe things can get better, you will not try. You can go to seminar after seminar after seminar. You can read book after book after book until you're worn out. But you can read all those book seminars. But if you don't believe, if you, in your mind, say, if you say, my marriage is hopeless, not even God can bail us out of this one. If you don't have faith, if you don't have belief, you will not try. You won't try to change it. Why, why try? You have to believe. You have to believe in a God bigger than you. In Matthew 19, 26, it says, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. That was Jesus' words. What he's letting us know is there are things that feel like I've tried everything and it's not getting better. And it feels like it's useless and hopeless. And God is saying, turn to me. With God, it's possible. With you, it's not possible. You've tried everything, okay? Now that you know that you've tried everything, maybe it's time to start believing in God. Start believing in God. Well, it's not about you. It's now about God making the change and trusting him. You might be saying, you know, my marriage has been dead for five years. The same, there's a Bible verse that talks about the same power that God used to raise the dead, meaning Jesus, is the same power he offers to you which means the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that can raise a dead marriage, a dead business, whatever the thing would be. So from God's point of view, no, we can work on this. We can make this work. So you have to have faith. You have to believe. If you don't believe, you won't try. So you're saying, God, I'm relying on power bigger than me because I can't do it, but you can so I believe, okay, God, I'm going to go into this now with belief, knowing, okay, with you, with you involved, I can expect something to happen. C is commit. The ABCs, commit to doing whatever it takes. In Galatians, it says, don't get tired of doing what is good. Don't get discouraged and give up. See, what happens is we want to give up too soon. We get discouraged. We get tired. And it takes hard work. It takes effort to have a good marriage. No people are going to be married and never have a problem, never have transitions, never have tensions. You know, marriage can be really good and things happen, then it feels really bad, then things happen and it feels really good, then things happen and it feels really bad. That just is normal. You know why? It's humans involved. It's two humans involved. So, of course, that's going to happen. But it takes hard work. It, It takes honesty and humility and a willingness to say, I was wrong, please forgive me, and a willingness to be frank to the other person that says, and say, hey, this has got to change. It's all those things. Sometimes the marriage doesn't get better because I'm too weak in my own mind to step up and say, this has got to change. I'm not talking about arguing, fighting, yelling, cussing. I'm just saying, be strong enough to say, this is wrong. This has got to change. This isn't right. You know, some things are inappropriate and dysfunctional and not helpful, and you have to say things. It's a willingness to change, it's a willingness to be flexible, it's a willingness to speak up, it's a willingness to care enough to confront. I like to call it care front. Because when I say confront, that sounds like you're fighting them in a negative way. If I say care front, 
what that means to me is I'm going to say it because I care about the relationship, because I care about them, them so I'm going to say it in a way that they can tell I'm saying it because I care. So you're still confronting, but you're care-fronting. It's because you care about them, you care about the relationship. You're really fighting the problems instead of fighting each other. Everybody has problems. If I fight my spouse, the problem's probably not going to get better. If there's a way for me to communicate with her in a way that we're working together on this problem, now we're on the same team. Who doesn't want to work on a problem if they're on the same team as somebody? You know, it costs to have a great marriage. It costs. It costs a lot of time, effort, energy, change in my part, understanding, humility, humbling myself and saying, I guess I am wrong. I need to change that. It costs a lot to have a good marriage. But tell you what, it costs way more to divorce. It costs way more to divorce. You talk to anybody who's had a divorce, it costs way more financially to divorce. It costs way more emotionally to divorce. It costs way more relationally to divorce. And not just your relationship with your spouse, but other people as well. It costs more physically to uh, a divorce. It costs, you know, you divorce, but you never leave the person. You know why? What do we all have? Memories. You think, well, I'm going to leave this person and forget about them. You never forget about them because you can never leave them. And then if you have children, you really physically can't leave them because you, you're, you're dealing with that, that. So it costs to divorce. It's far more worth the cost to save the marriage. You know, it's, it's way easier to, to say, okay, let's turn our marriage around. The alternative is way worse. I think we should turn it around. I always thought it was weird. People will pay twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars, crazy amounts of money, to have a wedding, to start their marriage, and that same couple isn't willing to pay a hundred dollars a week to get counseling to save that same marriage. How many hundred dollars a week would it take to spend that much money? How can I not spend a hundred dollars a week to save the very marriage that I spent thirty thousand on to marry that person? People are out of their minds. They just don't think, you know, it's worth, it's way worse to go through the divorce. It's better to do everything you can to save the marriage that you're in. Some say, well, I just don't love him anymore. I'm dead inside. I've been hurt. God changes. He can take that feeling of, I don't love him anymore and bring you back alive. God does great things if you allow him to. If you're not there yet, what do you do? You pray, God, change me Change my heart. Change my heart toward this relationship. So you're praying. And the second thing is you obey. What does that mean? You do the right thing whether you feel like it or not. What's a mature person? Someone that does the right thing whether they feel like it or not. What's an immature person? They only do what they feel. If you only do what you feel, you're going to really have a messed up life. You'll cheat on your spouse because I felt like that that day. You'll you know, steal money because I felt like it that day. Wow, I wish I had that. You know, isn't that what you do with your feelings? If you only follow your feelings, you'll do things that you know are wrong. But when you're mature, you, what you do is you say, I'm not going to do what I feel like doing. I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. If you approach your relationship, your marriage like that, it turns the marriage around. You just say, I'm just going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing here. How do you do that? Actions... Actions won't follow your feeling. What I mean like that is if I wait till I feel like being nice to you, 
I'll probably be waiting forever, right? If I wait till I feel like being nice to you. But if I make this decision, I don't feel like being nice to her. But I've made a commitment to be nice to her. So I start being nice to her. I start being nice to her. I start being kind to her. I start being kind to her. You know what happens? I start loving her. I start loving her. You know what happens? The feelings will follow. When you start acting it out, the feelings will follow. But if you wait till you have the feelings before you do it, it will never come. So you have to put into faith what you believe. I believe I'm supposed to treat them right. So I'm treating them with love, even though I don't feel like it right now. And the loving feelings happen. And what happens too is when you're pouring out love in that person, it affects them. It affects them. It changes their heart as well. You know how we say you can't change somebody else? But when you change the way you respond to somebody else, it sometimes changes them. It, it makes an impact way greater than what you might realize. So I'm going to just start loving them. Then D is deal. Deal with unresolved hurts. Let me go back to something about how you act. Some people don't feel good about them, themselves, like physically. And because they don't feel good about themselves, they don't, they have a hard time responding to sex. Because it's not about the other person, it's about how they feel about themselves. If you start acting sexy to your spouse, you'll start feeling sexy to your spouse. And then you're going to find out, hey, we can actually have a good love life. There's other things involved with having a good love life, like understanding that he's a microwave and she's a crock pot. You know, so what he could turn on like that, but she needs more warming up. And if you understand those dynamics, there's other things like that that if you understand it makes the sex life work better. But a lot of it is how we view ourselves. If we don't feel good about ourselves, we're not going to respond well. So act like you feel good about yourself. And soon you'll start feeling good about yourself. D is deal with unresolved hurts. That's asking for forgiveness and offering forgiveness. James 5.16 says, admit your faults to one another. So I want to admit where I'm wrong. Maybe the fault is just being too overbearing. Some spouses are just too overbearing and they just need to back off. You know, give them time. Let them grow at their own pace. You know, sometimes we're just too much on them. But... Admit your faults to one another. So it starts with me. I'm going to admit my errors, my faults, and really work on them. And then offer forgiveness to them because everybody blows it. You need to offer forgiveness for I mean, a caution says this. Be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Remember that God forgave me. I'm going to forgive them. Offer forgiveness. Then E is enlist. By the way, I'm not going to go all the way to the letter Z on the ABCs. I'm stopping with the enlist. Enlist support from others. What I'm saying here is it's too hard to make it on your own. If your marriage is struggling, get help. Get help. You've tried to work it out on your own for how many years? And if it's not working, get help. Um, it can be a friend that you know, loves God, knows the Bible, is, a, is an objective third opinion that gives you wise advice. It can be a friend. It can be a, a professional counselor that's trained to help with marriages that, that uh, will guide you in the right direction. It can be an older couple that's kind of like a mentor to you. But what I'm trying to say is get help. If you're struggling in your marriage, get help. Uh, it's, it's sometimes too hard to just figure it out on your own. In Proverbs 19, 20, it says, get all the advice and instruction you can. 
I talked earlier about you can read as many books as you want to, but if, uh, it doesn't mean you're going to change unless you really want to make some change. But I would tell you this, read those books, read those books, because if you want to change, they can make a big difference in your life. Read books on marriage. Do the things that, read everything you can. Uh, get all the advice and instruction you can uh, to make your marriage as good as possible. Other than your relationship with God, it's the most important thing you have in this world. So make it the best. Proverbs 24, 3. It takes wisdom to have a, a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. So you want all the wisdom you can. You want all the understanding that you can. And I don't think you're going to get that just from one another. So like I said, read books, get counsel, do whatever it takes to get the help that you need. So that way you can have the best uh, marriage possible. Just the fact that you're here during this series is a major thing. Because you're learning things right now that are going to help you. That's a, that's a major step. Keep coming over the next few weeks uh, because everything that we're going to be sharing is going to help you. You might think, I'm so tired. I've tried for years. I feel like I'm batting my head against a wall. It's going nowhere. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm out of energy. I give up. I feel powerless to change my marriage. Sometimes that's the best point that you can get to because sometimes until you really feel, feel powerless, you really don't start relying on God. Some people rely on themselves, rely on themselves, and they're, and, you know, and they're fighting it and nothing's changing and they're worn out because they haven't really given it to God. Give it to God. Look at Philippians 2.13. God who is at work within you will give you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. So make sure you're walking with God. He'll give you the will and the power to do it. And how about this one, Philippians 4.13. For I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. This is just the same verses that support the idea of you need a power greater than yourself. We know that power to be Jesus. But you need a power greater than yourself to help you. With Christ, I can do it. With God helping, I can do it. I can do my part to do everything I can to make this the best marriage that it can possibly be you may have really felt like, I made a mistake. I married the wrong person. You didn't. You made mistakes. Let me tell you what. Two people that are trying to do everything that God wants them to do, they're still going to make mistakes in that, in everything. Why? Because we're still flawed. Now, maybe they'll make less mistakes because they're really trying to go for God. But we're all human. We just make mistakes. It's just a part of who we are. I try to do the right thing and even... You know, Tanya and I, we both love God. We both love each other. We're both trying to do everything. We make mistakes. We made mistakes. You know, uh, you know, sometimes we think, like, did we get married too soon and not date long enough? Did we do this? And you always second guess yourself, usually when you're having a problem, right? So you start thinking, oh, we did this. Maybe we should have done that. Maybe we should have done, you know. Everybody, there's no perfect relationship. So you might be thinking, I made a mistake. I made a wrong choice and this and that. I don't really think that that's what it is. I think, well, let me put it this way. I don't think you necessarily made a wrong choice. You might have made mistakes that caused you to have to learn things in your marriage that you wish you would have learned beforehand. But I don't think it's necessarily a wrong choice. I do not want to give you the idea by what I've said today, because it maybe could, that no matter what, never divorce. I don't believe that. I'm not saying, if you, if you go home and you're getting beat up by 
you know, your husband or wife and they're physically beating you up? Or what if they're beating the kids or, you know, you can come up with things, you know, like, oh, never get a divorce no matter what. But what if they're molesting kids and you don't divorce, right? You don't end that relationship. You don't send them to jail, right? It's stupid when people say never divorce. It's stupid, right? But what I'm trying to say here is most reasons that people don't get along can be worked out. If you're married to somebody and they left you for somebody else, I'm going to pray them back. You can pray them back if you want to. You're allowed to. You can divorce them too. There's, the Bible allows you to divorce in certain situations. But let me tell you this. Most marriages can be worked out. Most marriages. Those are really, especially probably in a group like this, probably in a group like this, most of the things that we struggle with isn't like my life is being threatened by my spouse. That's usually not our case in a group like this. Our case is usually in a situation where if we work on it, we can turn this around. If we work on it, I can do at least my part. There are occasions where you can see that divorce is biblical and maybe the, the wisest choice. But I would encourage you as much as you can to try to make your marriage work. With that, let's pray. Dear God, We want to accept responsibility for our part of the marriage. Lord, we want to quit blaming our spouse and do our part, God. I want to start watering my marriage. I don't want to think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. God, I want to believe that you can make the difference. I have faith in what you can do to save the marriage. Lord, I commit to doing whatever it takes. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to work hard. Lord, I'm willing to be a person that forgives. I don't want to hold grudges over all the things that they do. I'm praying that they won't hold grudges with me on all the things I've done. Lord, I'm willing to seek advice and counsel and support from other people. I'm committed to keep coming here every week to learn more and more that can help our marriage be better. But Lord, I know that you're the glue that sticks us together. And Lord, I'm trusting you to help our marriage be the best that it can possibly be. It's in Jesus' name that I offer you this. Amen.